Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Nate, one of the pastors here. I'm so glad that Tom and Scarlett are some of the leaders at our church. They serve on our, our board, our, the highest uh, leadership team here. And uh, I'm just so thankful that they can encourage us to be joyfully giving as we finish this year. Uh, traditionally, uh, historically, December is one of the months where we have a lot of the gifts come in. And I just want to encourage you to think about that as we get near the end of this year. We're so thankful for so many of you that give consistently and help fund what God is doing in us and through us as a church community. And I want to encourage you to consider how you might do that here as we're wrapping up the year. Uh, I want to pray for us as we move towards our time of teaching and, and uh, just invite God to speak to us this morning. Uh, this morning, uh, Trey, he normally leads us in worship. He's actually over in Kenya with his brother meeting extended family for the first time in his life. And I want to pray for Trey and his brother Ryan as they're there, that they would be blessed in that time. Uh, pastor Jessica, our outreach pastors uh, in uh, uh, San Diego and Tijuana with a few others from our church doing something our denomination is calling an immigrant experience. And they're learning about uh, what immigration and refugee work looks like at the border and, and how we can can have larger hearts of compassion here in Kansas City as we continue to partner with Mission Adelante and their resettlement work they're doing with refugees. So I want to pray for Jessica and Ashley and Laura as well as they're coming back today from that experience. Uh, so let's, let's talk to God together. Will you bow your heads with me and let, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful that you are here with us, that you are present in this place in our lives. Because Jesus was born, because he lived and taught and brought the kingdom of God, because he died on the cross and rose again that we might have a new kind of life, that we might know you and walk with you. We thank you for that gift and we pray that as we meet together this morning that you would speak to us and encourage us. Father, we thank you for all the ways that you provide for our needs and Lord, you have invited us and called us to give. And so we pray as a church community that we would continue to be joyful givers, that we would see giving as, as a part of our partnership in the kingdom and what you're doing in this place and through this place in our neighborhood uh, to the ends of the, the earth as we continue to support missionaries in so many different countries. Lord, we, we thank you for the work you've given us to do. And I pray, Lord, you would help us to give with joy. We thank you that uh, Trey and Ryan have this time to meet extended family. We pray for your blessing in their life, that you would keep them safe. And as they return uh, later um, in a few weeks, Lord, that they would just have a greater sense of who they are and how you have created them, Lord, as, as your uh, adopted sons. Lord, we ask you to bless them. And thanks that Jessica and Ashley and Laura could have this experience uh, with those who are uh, immigrating into our country, those who are are fleeing from persecution and pain and suffering in other countries, Lord, would you help us grow in what it means for us as your people to be uh, those voices of compassion and welcome and mercy in the midst of, of uh, challenging lives, uh, broken, hurting lives, Lord. Um, thank you for the experiences that, that you have given them, and we pray that we would learn with them as they return. Father, open your word to us now. We want to know what the truth is. We want to hold on to the truth. So would you speak to us and encourage us and help us to see you at work in our lives, even this morning. We love you. We trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, Monday mornings, I, uh, I get into the office here about um, 7.30 or so, and I'll, I'll turn on my computer and I'll open up my little black planning notebook 
And uh, one of the first things I do is I, I hit Spotify and I get some music going to set the tone. You know, I'm starting a new week. I want to set it with the right kind of music. And last Monday, for the first time since last January, I hit that Christmas playlist. And uh, I knew I'd get emotional about it. I'm kidding. Um, it, was, uh, it was just great to hear the sounds of Christmas again, to, to get it. Like, who's on your Christmas playlist? I, get, I, I hook in a little John Foreman. I hook in some Leah Nash and some Third Day and some Jars of Clay. I kind of go back a little bit. Um, but I, I got to listen to that music again, and it was great to start the week with some Christmas music. Music is a, a powerful a tone setter. When we're in our, at home or at work, wherever we are, it creates a mood, it, it builds an environment when we start playing music. And we've all sat in rooms when the music didn't speak to us, when it was uh, distracting or loud or annoying. Uh, the wrong music can be an irritating noise, an unbalanced noise, a distracting noise. But when you find that right song for that right moment, when you get the right music, it can, it can be a wonderful noise. Hopeful noise, a joyful noise, like Jason was just talking about. The last song we sang, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, it points towards the joy of every longing heart, that phrase that's in that song. The joyful noise of, of Christmas can turn our attention back to uh, the one that we have been longing for, back to what our hearts desire, a connection with the eternal an understanding that we are created with a purpose and that we can know our creator God. Christmas reminds us that Jesus came to earth, that we could have a genuine relationship with our creator. Joy is found as, as we decide to walk in that new life that Jesus created us for, step by step on that, that trail that God invites us to hike. As we continue to turn the page of our life, as, as God continues to write our story, Sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, page by page, he's, he's putting our stories together and we decide to find joy in them. And one of the problems obviously we encounter is when the story of our life starts heading in a new direction, when we start a new paragraph and it seems like this paragraph was unexpected. There's heartbreak, there's struggle, there, there's pain in this part of the story. And when, when our stories move from romance or comedy and we find that we're living out a tragedy, uh, we're not sure what to do a lot of the times. We don't know what God is doing. And it, it, it's not always easy for us. And there's a, a dynamic in music that kind of mirrors this, this happening in our lives. And it's called dissonance. Dissonance. That when sounds, when notes are clashing, uh, it creates auditory tension. And uh, I, I spoke to Aaron, one of our resident sound engineers, this last week, and he helped me understand a little bit more about dissonance. And he, he described it this way, dissonance is when a song has an irregular harmonic between two frequencies. There's about three words in that sentence I don't understand, but that's what he said. He said, it's when there's an irregular harmonic between two frequencies. And he said, uh, dissonance uh, works against our natural biology. When our brain hears it, it doesn't, it hits us in the wrong way and it pulls our attention. We get pulled toward the dissonant noise. It, it, it draws our attention. Um, so here, I want to give you an example of what dissonance sounds like. Give 10 seconds of a sound clip. This is what dissonance sounds like. So listen to this. Sounds pretty good. Oh. Anybody looking over your shoulder? Sounds like a, a little bit of a horror movie going on all of a sudden. So, so that's what dissonance sounds like. It hurt, sounded good and then it went sideways, right? And the only way to resolve dissonance is to change something in the music. 
You have to shift the frequency or the pitch. You've got to change the volume or adjust the phase uh, of the songs. You have to shift something to resolve the dissonance. So at Christmas, we, we celebrate the birth of Christ who came uh, that we might know life. Jesus arrived so that we could move uh, from, from disconnection and, and loss to forgiveness and hope. And, and so we have to shift something. Something has to be changed in us to resolve that, that spiritual dissonance that we all experience. That connection, the wonderful forgiveness is available to us because Jesus gave his life for us 2,000 years ago. That historic event that split history before and after him, that changed the world, a handful of Jesus followers that began to share what they had experienced, the truth that they had followed Jesus, watched him die, and then experienced him again after death. He came back to life. And they shared that story in such a way that here we are 2,000 years later, and we're worshiping Jesus. We're speaking his name. The entire world, millions around the world, will celebrate his birthday later this month because he's changed our world. But Jesus had to die that we might have life. Jesus had to suffer that we could have hope. And that creates dissonance for us. It seems like there are two competing spiritual tones, hope and death and peace through sacrifice and joy and suffering. And this morning we're starting these four weeks looking at the songs of the Old Testament that tell us about Jesus. The Hebrew playlist found in the book of Psalms. There's 150 songs in that collection and you can play them on shuffle or repeat or just listen to them right on through. Uh, But they speak towards God's goodness and faithfulness in the midst of the hardships of life. And many of them point our attention towards the Messiah, the one who would come and, and make things right again in this world. And his name is Jesus. And so the first messianic psalm we want to look at, or what I like to call the Jewish Christmas songs, uh, we're going to look at Psalm 22. So if you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open that up to right about in the middle of your Bible, the book of Psalms, and you'll find Psalm 22 there. Open up your Bible app and and flip over to Psalm 22, verse 1. And we're going to look at this psalm this morning and how it points us towards Jesus and, and how he created a way for us to be connected to God. My Psalm 22, it's got a little like title before the actual verse one. Sometimes the Psalms have these. Mine says, for the director of music to the tune of the doe of the morning, a Psalm of David. And so we're told that that David wrote this Psalm. He was the second king in Israel and he was a prolific songwriter. Uh, He loved to express himself in music. And uh, we we know that uh, he played an instrument that looked a little bit like a harp. Uh, It's called a lyre. And if you know anything about David's life, you know he was a liar and he played a liar. So that's interesting. Um, but he, here's a selfie of David and his liar that he posted a few years ago on social media. Um, he seems a little bit into himself in that picture. I don't know. But, but you, you get the idea. Uh, he was a musician and he loved writing music. And many of the Psalms were written by David. And, uh, and he would, you know, uh, play music for those who would listen. And my little title here says, it's to the tune of the doe of the morning, which I love. Like there was music back then that everybody knew. And it would be like, yeah, it was to the tune of row, row, row your boat, or we wish you a Merry Christmas. Like everybody knew that song. And I kind of wonder, what did the doe of the morning sound like? You know, was it like punk rock? You know, what kind of tone did that song have? But this is the, the song it's written to. So verse one, and David starts to write. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? And right away, we're we're hit with, this is a song of dissonance. This is a song of lament, of David wondering, God, where are you? 
where have you gone? Why have you abandoned me? Why have you walked away? When he says forsaken, that's what he's talking about. You know, why have you left me alone? Or worse yet, forsaken can carry with it the idea of being forgotten or being lost. Like, God, why have you lost me? This first verse of this Christmas song, it actually gets connected right away to Jesus because when Jesus was on the cross and he was dying, these are the words he said. Verse one, he quoted while he was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Father, why are you deserting me? I'm here alone dying. Why have you left me? Some have said the most painful part of the cross was not the physical anguish, although I'm, physically it was overwhelming, terrible pain. But they said the hardest part of the cross for Jesus was the separation from his Father and from the Spirit. This triune community that Jesus had uh, existed in for all time, eternal, intimate, life-giving relationship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that Jesus was, was separated in some way in that moment. And that was the most painful thing. Jesus cried out to God from the cross and, and no dove descended like when he was baptized in the Jordan River. No angels came to minister to him like at the end of those 40 days he was being tested in the desert. There was no voice from heaven that said, this is my son, listen to him, I'm well pleased. And I, I struggle to understand how Jesus, God in the flesh could be separated from himself I struggle to understand how Jesus could ask a why question. Why have you forsaken me? Because Paul tells us in Colossians that Jesus, that all that we see was put together by Jesus and that he holds all of creation together. How could he ask a why question? It's dissonant for me. Billy Graham once wrote about uh, Jesus's words on the cross online. And here's what Billy Graham wrote. He said, what did Jesus mean by this? Was he suddenly filled with doubt, wondering if he had misunderstood the mission God had given him? Or was he filled with despair, concluding he was a failure and all his work was in vain? After all, the crowds had turned from him and seemingly his ministry had come to an abrupt end. Those are the questions we ask. God didn't save Jesus on the cross so that we could be saved. God didn't find Jesus on that cross he left him lost so that we could be found. I believe Jesus was saying those words from the cross because he was claiming Psalm 22 for himself. A psalm that the Jewish people understood pointed to the Messiah, the promised one. And Jesus was saying, that's who I am. I am the one who you've been waiting for. I'm the one that was promised. And it was in the midst of the emotions, the pain that he was going through, which I'm sure were so overwhelming. He was reminding himself and those listening of who he was, his identity, as the one sent by God to give his life so that others might find life. He was claiming who he was. Psalm 22 goes on to talk more about what Jesus went through and really what many of us go through as well. If you want to skip down to verse 16, I want to pick it up just a few verses down, about halfway through the psalm. Psalm 22, verse 16, David continues to write, and he says, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. This is what it means for him to be forsaken. He says, my enemies are around me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves and cast lots for my garments. And there's two phrases in this section that, again, connect what uh, David's writing to Jesus. And you probably saw them yourself. My hands and my feet are pierced and my clothes, um, my clothes are divided among them. We know that Jesus died painfully on that wooden cross, his, his hands, his feet nailed to that cross. It was a tool of capital punishment used by the Roman Empire. But when David wrote this song, 
uh, it was not a death tool used by any nation. It, w- it wasn't something that was known to David. It began about 500 years later with, with the, the Persian Empire, and it was later perfected by the Romans. So David had no idea what the cross was or crucifixion was. He may have been referring to those dogs biting at his hands and biting at his feet. He didn't know what crucifixion was all about, and yet God used his words to point us toward what would happen to Jesus. Like we see that now, looking back, this prophecy that this would happen a thousand years later to the Messiah. In John's description of Jesus' death in the Gospel of John, we read these words. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. And this garment was seamless, woven of one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And this happened that the scriptures might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. So this is what the soldiers did. You see John connecting it back to Psalm 22. So this is what the psalm tells us would happen, and that's what happened. They, they, you know, they threw dice, they gambled over his clothing that they could take it for themselves. And the prophet Isaiah would also write about the Messiah, the suffering servant, who would be pierced for our rebellion and broken because of our ill hearts and minds. Isaiah wrote, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Peace through pain, healing through wounds. This is dissonant for us. This creates tension, noise, and maybe even joy, all in the same phrase. If we go back to Psalm 22, we're going to pick it up, verse 19. David continues to write, but, but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild ox. You get the idea that David didn't like dogs, the way he writes about them in the Psalms. But he also says, protect me from the lion. So he didn't like cats either. So maybe he was more of a bird person. I don't know. But uh, he says dogs and cats and ox, all these animals, as a, as a shepherd who became a king, he was going back to his shepherding days, all these animals he had to protect the sheep from. And he said, they're just, you know, I, I'm not fighting those animals anymore, but I have others around me, my enemies that are like these dogs, like those, those lions. And God, you've got to stand up. You've got to carry me in the midst of these battles. You've got to help me through. In verse 22, he continues. David says, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. God has not hidden his face from the afflicted one, but has listened to his cry for help. In the face of dogs and lions and ox horns and the reality of swords and attacks in the midst of of fears and terrors and villains, nakedness, hunger and loss, David says, I will still praise God. I will choose to say your name among the people. When we gather together, I will point them towards you. David reminds himself that even though life can be a struggle, God has not forsaken him. God has not turned away. Sometimes it feels like we've been abandoned, but the truth that David's holding on to is that God has not hidden his face from him. David is starting to rehearse these facts so that the emotional reaction of his suffering doesn't dictate his behavior. He says, I want to remember what is true, what I know in my heart, even though I'm suffering. It's like he's saying to himself, look, David, you're going through real hardship and pain right now. It feels like you're all alone, that even God himself has walked away from you. 
but you know the truth. God has not abandoned you. He is right here, present and powerful. Come on, he's saying to himself, David, come on, come on me. Say it out loud. Lift your voice and speak the truth. God is good and worthy of a song. He's worthy of all that I am. I mean, the truth is God cares deeply and personally about the hardships that you're facing. You you are not forgotten by your creator. You have not been looked over. God is not giving good things to everyone else while he's ignoring you in that dark corner as you're just looking for a glimmer of hope. I think about Mary and Martha in the New Testament when their brother Lazarus died and Jesus showed up for the funeral. He, the first thing he did, he didn't primary, go to them first thing and say, hey, what's wrong with you? Where's your faith? He's not going to be dead. He's going to come back to life. He didn't ch- he chastise them in the first thing. He, he sat with them and he wept, it says. He cried with them. He entered with them. He felt the emotion of that moment and he cried with them. He was not indifferent in their suffering. The word afflicted that shows up in that, uh, those verses there also shows up in verse 26, but there it's translated poor. For the ancient people, poverty wasn't simply a, a lack of money. Poverty could show up in all sorts of ways. So they may have struggled to pay the bills that were due, but even if they had wealth, they could be poor in courage, struggling to, to find real power. They could be poor in peace, struggling to deal with the anger and the frustration of their life. There was poverty in relation to community, being connected to others, poverty and hope, poverty and energy, all sorts of situations they could be poor in. And into that reality, into that need, God is not walking away, David is saying. He is is not walking in another direction. He is listening and responding. I like how the Message Bible, Paraphrase Bible, translates verse 24. Here's what it says. "God, God has never let you down. Never looked the other way when you were being kicked around. He has never wandered off to do his own thing. He's been right there listening. And David's the first person that would say to you, I know, I know. Sometimes it feels like he has walked away. Sometimes it feels like he is the one kicking you around. Sometimes it feels like he's wandered off. I think about when David's best friend died, when his mentor betrayed him, when the jealousy of others threatened his life, when his own sin led him to darkness and death. He certainly felt the grief and sadness that many of us feel. But he chose to praise. He chose to speak what was true instead of focusing on the temporary circumstances. David chose to anchor his heart and mind to the truth of God's love and power. Instead of clinging needlessly to the emotions of the moment that shift unpredictably like a, like a ship on, a, on a, a windswept lake, the spiritual dissonance that David experienced meant something had to shift to resolve the tension and David said, I'm, I'm going to be the one that's going to move. I'm going to remind myself that even though I feel this way, that God is still present and good. It's good for us to acknowledge our emotions, to embrace our feelings. They help us to experience life with depth and meaning, but we don't anchor ourselves to them. We'll talk about that some more in a moment, but let me just go back to the psalm and just read a few more verses here at the end of Psalm 22. If we pick it up at verse, verse 25. David writes, from you, God, comes the theme of my praise. In the great assembly, before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor, again, there's that word poor, will, be, will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. 
for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. When David writes about the dominion belongs to the Lord, he's singing about God's sovereignty, that God is is Lord over all creation, and that means what, what God wants, God gets. What he wants to see happen is what happens in this world. Now, there's sometimes when he allows things to happen because we have free will. There's times when he instigates things that happen, but all of it is under his authority. Every step of our journey, every high point, every low valley, all of our losses, all of our gains, they're allowed and used by God. And if we jump to the New Testament, we see the brother of Jesus writing about this. The one who, he watched his brother die on the cross. And James wrote about this dissonance of of God's sovereignty while we still have suffering in our world, this strange connection of hardship and joy, of pain and hope. And so James chapter one, he writes these words, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces. I invite you to stand with me and I wanna invite our prayer team to come up at this time, our prayer volunteers. Singing those words is one thing. Saying those words, it's uh, from our hearts, it's really difficult to say, God, I trust you in this storm. I, I trust, I surrender to what you are doing, even when I don't understand. It's not easy to say those words. And, and I want to invite you, if you're struggling in that, to let us pray with you this morning, to let us come alongside you and be with you in that, in that dissonance. That's why our volunteers are up front to pray with you and encourage you. So fight that temptation to head out that way come up here and let us lift you up and encourage you and pray with you this morning. Thanks so much for being here today to worship with us to start this Advent season together. Uh, We're excited about what God's going to say to us in these songs of the Old Testament. As you go, drop those connection cards and the offering you have, drop those in the joy boxes in the back. We celebrate generosity here, so we cheer when we talk about that. And uh, I, I just want you to go knowing that God is with you, that you will not walk into any storm or go through any tragedy in this life that he is caught off guard by. He sees it. He knows it. He's with you. He understands. You are not alone. Your father loves you and he is with you. He walks with you. So go in that truth. Go in that joy. Bring light to darkness. Bring hope to hopeless. Be the people of God. We'll see you next Sunday. Go with him. Amen.